Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to our podcast, Med Family. I'm the host, Eric Acker. We just got through our post-production meeting or pre-production meeting and have no idea what we're talking about today. <laughs> of course, Karen is here We with have me. some idea of what we're going to talk about. Yes. Um, but it's think... been all that long since we recorded the last podcast. No, but we forgot a few things on our last one, so we're good. Like, what did we forget? That phone call meeting that you had about Oh, oh, that one. Okay, yeah. Okay. You want the, me to talk about the, it now? Yeah, talk about it now because <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't there, so, yeah, so I don't we, know. Haven't had a lot of, <laughs> we haven't had a lot of time between the two recordings, so there's not been a lot of... Well, I mean, Eric has had a successful week. He has completed six out of the eight... I human well, cases. Nine I human cases or, are completed. Excuse me. Seven out of the nine. Yeah, I knew he had two left. <laughs> and I just have to do the testing mode, upload them, and we're done. So that's about an hour work. So that's mm-hmm. not too bad. And he's watched some of the videos. Yes, at least seven and a half hours worth of videos. <laughs> <laughs> so study wise, you've been doing fairly well. Yeah, it's not too bad. Pretty reasonable for week two. Yep. Family-wise, kids are still sick. It cycled back around to our, our oldest. daughter and our, and our guess, oldest. Yeah. Started with Nora. I think it's going to probably end with Nora and Hopefully. Oliver, but hopefully. Hopefully. I don't really want it to cycle through again as Eric is leaving tomorrow and I would just like to be done with this. But. Well, yeah. And that's still up in the air a little bit, but we'll see. <laughs> You'll leave tomorrow. We're, we're supposed to go to the internal medicine conference in Chicago tomorrow. And By we, he meets him and Brandon. Me and Brandon, yes. Uh, Brandon West. and But Brandon West is not feeling particularly great today, so he, hopefully he feels better tomorrow. And I, of course, waited until the very last minute to get my booster shot for the COVID vaccine since it sounded like the, the conference required it. So, you know, I could wake up tomorrow with a, a dead arm or something like that. We'll see. We, we pre-medicated this time, which is not the correct answer for a family medicine question. <laughs> but <laughs> it seems to help. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't feel bad to, right now. Knock on wood. But either case, <laughs> we've been trying to get things ready to go, organized uh, for this trip because it's going to be basically four days, three four days, something like that. And trying to figure out what we want to see at the conference, what we want to do at the conference, and then of course there's logistics of how do we get there, where do we sleep. And how do we get to the conference once we're in Chicago? So there was a lot of uh, detailed analysis going on between which hotels would be favorable versus which hotels are not favorable. And this is Chicago, and it has a reputation for being a slightly violent city. Uh, so we had to put a lot of thought in into that on as far as, like, where can we stay that's somewhat safe but also not spend a lot of money? Because if you... Get a hotel downtown, close to where all the the conference stuff is at. Generally, that costs a little bit more. And then the the parking wasn't free. You had to pay to park, or you had to find a parking lot somewhere else in the area to park. And so that kind of added a lot of extra expenses onto everything else. 
So we ended up, I think, deciding on a hotel that was close to the airport with the assumption that the airport is sometimes pretty safe. <laughs> with no, no local uh, insight into that, we, we just made that decision. Well, you were talking to one guy on the internet that basically told you what areas to avoid, and the airport wasn't in the areas Yeah, to avoid. I don't think he was thinking I was going to go like 15 minutes out of the well, city. <laughs> I don't know. I got like told like there's the Health University, like Chicago School of Medicine or something like that, all the way to the Great Lakes, which is, I guess, east of there, but not anything below, I don't know, I don't know what, it was like 10th Street or something like that, and he was like, Unless you're looking for drugs, then don't go down that that direction. So, I don't, I don't know. It it's all gonna work out. I think. Um, we'll see. <laughs> I figure we've got it planned out pretty well. We have a hotel. We have we use like Spot Hero app, and we found a parking spot basically we can use near the conference. We just have to walk a third of a mile, and we're we're good. And as long as and the weather holds it's up, secured parking. Yeah, quote unquote secured parking. It's it's an alley. Well, it's like between businesses. Yeah, but I thought you said that there was a security guard. No, no, I'm pretty sure there's no security guard. It said it's. It just said on the thing that it monitors license plates. Oh. So that's why our license plate has to be accurate on the booking. Got so, it. So, eh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> it's only a third of a mile, a mile away from the, the conference center. So hopefully, no big deal. And we have a few things already kind of lined up for. You know, events, event-wise, what we're going to go see. There's a bunch of other ones I have bookmarked because I thought they were interesting, and we'll see what happens. So, it should be an interesting experience. I've never been to a conference before, and uh, I, mean, I think I'm driving Karen nuts by like trying to match certain outfits together and well, getting her the opinion. Conference, and, the conference <laughs> says business casual, and he's sitting here with his like sport coat, being like, "What?" Matches? They mention like having sport coats and stuff like that in the thing. So, yes. Anyways, so his his bag is about um, two thirds packed. <laughs> you still haven't told me what goes with what. I was gonna take pictures and send them to you because I'm not expecting you to remember. Oh, okay. <laughs> there you Love go. you. I appreciate that. It actually helps. <laughs> helps a lot. But, um, yeah. So it's been kind of a crazy week. I I will say that Brandon and Eric maybe obsessed a little a little much on the hotel and the parking and like because I felt like well, it that, wasn't Brandon. It was just me. Yeah. Um, I felt like there was a lot of time that was that spent on that. And by the end, I was just kind of done with it. No offense. But oh, you know. did find a good deal. I will give you that. Took a while, but we got one. <laughs> we got one, guys. But yeah, so Eric will be gone, what, Wednesday through? You'll get back on Sunday, probably? Sunday, I think, is the plan to return. I think so. we're staying in, in Kansas City on the way back. So we're going to try to make the return trip a two, two-part Yeah, not, not, not 13 all. hours or yeah. whatever. But yeah, so... Eric's been working on getting ahead on his studying, <laughs> and I bought snacks and tried to pack. It's not completely done. Um, it, it, it's been a little bit harder than I anticipated with sick kids. Sick kids. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. And when Eric's gone, I'll have probably ladies' night or you should. visitors. So that'll be, be fun. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we worked on, so we did the studying, of course, and then I think last week we mentioned we got 
the rotation slot in northeast Georgia for uh, end of August and all of September, essentially. So we've been working on trying to figure out what we can do with step two. Um, we finally got kind of the final word from the school that they weren't going to make any exceptions. So I still got to get the step two done three weeks before I start my away elective. So I think we're going to book that step two date here soon. I was hoping to kind of take a self-assessment this week. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> probably no, will be probably next, next week. week. But I was hoping to take a self-assessment to see where I was at and how much progress I need to make before I can get to, to my, I feel like an ideal step score, step two score. So that um, has been clarified, I guess. <laughs> Whatever that's worth. I did email uh, a third year resident at the program to get some insight on what I should be doing to prepare for that rotation and to be successful for that rotation. So hopefully he gets back to me. I did make his connection. So this, I guess, is my tie in here. He was on a call with the ACP, uh, American College of Physicians, and they had a Zoom meeting essentially where they had three different individuals that would talk to medical students about the process of becoming a resident and the do's and don'ts of, I guess, the match and the interview stuff and what, what, what to look for in the program, etc. And so the third year resident was one of the, he was the resident. They had a faculty member, I think from Mercer, uh, Mercer College or medical school. And then they had another faculty member from Savannah. I think he's a faculty member for the medical uh, for the internal medicine program in Savannah. So I'm not sure where he is in the hierarchy or whatnot, but uh, it was good to kind of be part of that meeting and ask a few questions. Uh, I did get one question answered that I thought was very clarifying to me because I, I've heard very conflicting messages about this, and it was really regarding fellowships. I've heard one person say that if you are very interested in a fellowship such as like cardiology or GI, that you would want to look for residency programs that have similar fellowships offered at that at that location. So essentially, if you were going to go look at Northeast Georgia and you wanted to go to cardiology, you'd pick a Northeast Georgia if they had cardiology fellowship, thinking that the, the basic thought is that it might be easier to get into a fellowship at a location that you, you, they already know you at. I've heard other suggestions or recommendations that you should not mention fellowships at all during your residency interviews or application, anything like that, because the programs just want to train, train you to be an internal medicine doctor. They're not interested in your future aspirations. Uh, you can take that for what it, what it will. <laughs> and then uh, other suggestions along the same lines are that low, uh, picking a residency based off of the fellowship might not be the best idea because some programs that have fellowships attached, they only take maybe one, maybe two people for the fellowship from the residency program class, and then they get all the other fellows from other locations to make sure that the 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 thoughts and processes that come in come into that program aren't all from the same program essentially not all homologous or whatever uh anyway so there's a lot of different 
competing thoughts on what you should do when it comes to fellowships, especially if you are thinking you might want to do a fellowship and you don't just want to stop at internal medicine. Uh, I thought this phone call, one of the suggestions, like I, can I type that question in there? Should you mention your interest in a fellowship during your interview process or should you keep your application and interview process focused on internal medicine? Initially, one person I think said you should mention your aspiration, your career goals, because if you want to go into cardiology and that program doesn't have a whole lot of cardiology, at least they can be honest with you and say, hey, we don't have a lot to offer you an experience in cardiology. But if they do, then they have all the tools and things to help you out. So it's a, they can't help you unless you tell them what you, what you want sort of thing. So the other suggestions I thought maybe had a little bit more traction to it was you shouldn't be fixated on a fellowship, essentially. And it's, it's kind of a weird thought process, but their running thought was is that you really haven't had a lot of experience just in general. And so to just walk into a program and say, I definitely want to be a cardiologist comes across as a little odd, especially since you haven't done their work. So instead, the suggestion was is say, you have a, a, some interest in cardiology. You want to see, you want to see and experience more of that and get a better look at it to see if that's maybe a career path you might want to go down. So leave it kind of more of an opened book kind of idea as opposed to a definite, I'm definitely going to go here. And, and I, I know there's people out there who have the, the, um, a lot of conviction on where they're going to go. And like, you know, when they entered medical school, they knew they were going to be, well, you know, a dermatologist and, you know, the entire time that has that course has never changed. But I think a lot of medical students, myself included, we started our medical school route thinking that we would be maybe a surgeon. And then, you know, somewhere along the way, we recalibrated it and go, well, actually, I would be pretty happy in internal medicine. So uh, <laughs> all that to basically say, I think there's all sorts of different uh, avenues of what you can be happy in in medicine. And as far as the fellowship goes, just consider maybe changing the wordage. Even if you are pretty sure you want to go to cardiology, just try to figure out a way to say, I'm interested in learning more about cardiology. This might be a career path for me, but I want to have more experience before I can make a final decision. And I think that for the program kind of tells them that you have an open mind, that you're there to experience things. You're not just like, I'm only here for this. I don't know. That was the essentially the the recommendation from the two faculty members on the on the panel. Well, and it kind of follows along the same lines as what we've said with like cores. Like you have people that approach cores and are like, "Well, I'm never going to do this, so it it doesn't matter. I just need to know enough to pass the shelf." And then there are people who are like, "Well, it doesn't matter if this is not what I don't think I want to do. I should learn as much as possible because." everything is interconnected in some way and you're going to refer up or down or sideways, right? Yeah. Depending on where you end up and who you see and what that patient needs. So it's all important whether or not it's going to be the most important to you in your final career. That's, that's well, arguable, a, a I guess. Third, I guess a third position is like, you're never going to do this ever again. So you might as well get, the, you might as well enjoy the most out of it. Right. Like, right. You, know, you, maybe you're going to go into, anesthesiology and you're like well i'm never gonna 
I don't know, you're going to do an orthopedic rotation. I'm trying to find maybe something better here, like a sports med or something like that. Like, well, you're never going to do concussion protocols on, on patients, so you might as well get the most out of it. Or maybe you're going to go into dermatology. I, I know I'm using that a lot today, but like you're, you know you're going to go into dermatology, but you're like, I'm never going to deliver a baby again. So you know, might as well enjoy, might as well get a little bit of experience doing that. I might as well get a little bit of experience doing all these things that I'm never going to do again in my life. But you, at least you can say you did it. You know, you've done it once, you know. like. <laughs> yeah, so. so I think it, it's kind of along the same lines. Try and get the most out of every experience that you have during medical school. It can only help you in the end. And yeah, essentially you do the same in residency. I, I heard a story, I guess, about an internal medicine resident uh, up in Piedmont. He was telling his uh, current online course of students, I heard this kind of secondhand, that he essentially assist, basically did, did a surgery because he had a patient that needed the surgery, brought it to the surgical team, and they said, okay, great, uh, do you know how to do it? And he's like, well, I kind of know about what I'm doing. I'm like, great, you can do all the work, we'll just watch you. And so, I mean, as an internal medicine resident, like, I think you have that freedom to do that kind of stuff. Like, you, as an internal, as a resident, you have maybe a lot, kind of a wider scope of practice because of your, your learning, essentially. And you have, like, other surgical residents and surgical attendings all kind of in audience. But obviously, once you graduate internal medicine or whatever, <laughs> whatever after three years is called, and then you're full-fledged internal medicine doc board certified like you're not going to find yourself in the OR ever again and you'd probably like never even dream of like oh I have this patient that has this issue that I did a surgery on before like you're probably like never going to go like yeah like give me the scalpel I'll do it (laughs) (laughs) like but as a resident you have that kind of opportunity to experience it so he got to experience it he he obviously not a big fan of surgery otherwise he would have ended up in surgery but he, he thought that it was at least an, an interesting experience. Yeah. Um, so that, that was something I took away from the uh, the meeting. And I, I don't... The meeting was interesting. I, I, I tried to go to a few things just to see if some of the advice is consistent across the board. Because a lot of times as IMGs, we get... We're, we're kind of exposed to one side of the advice. You know, we were kind of told... we. All, all along the way, we have people telling us all these things uh, about how to become a good candidate for the match. And everyone's kind of has a little bit of their own history that they rely on. Like I had somebody, um, a resident, current resident, say that audition rotations don't really matter. Like, and and his, his experience led him to believe that they don't matter because he auditioned at a couple of places that he thought he did really well and that people really liked him, but he never got offered an interview. And so in, in the end of the day, he matched at a place he did an audition rotation at. He didn't do any audition there, so, you know, obviously they don't seem to matter very much. I don't know. I've heard other people say they definitely do matter. You should definitely do it. I mean, there's a few weeks ago we had Seth on the podcast, and he matched in the uh, emergency medicine at a location he did an audition rotation at. So, like, that obviously seemed to have that probably pushed him over over the line into the into the win category, you know? I don't I can't think of any other reason why. I mean he's a great candidate as it is, but I know he went into that match cycle knowing that emergency medicine was competitive, 
that it was an uphill battle. And even on the podcast, he mentioned like applying to 230 programs, getting six interviews, which is, uh, you, you don't want to do the math on that. It's like 3% less than. <laughs> it's <laughs> um, terrifying is what it's, it is. It's not a great number, but, and you match. That's, and at the end of the day, that's all you, all you really care about. It's like, cause you can send out 500 uh, applications and you're still only going to match at one. So the percentage obviously is going to get smaller the more applications you send out. But at the same time, you're, you're just trying to make sure you get that one. Uh, and you certainly, the more interviews you have, it seems like the better uh, the odds are that you might land the one match. So I don't know. I'm not here to tell you. I know whether or not auditions matter. I'm going to do them because I figure they could only help me. They could hurt me as well. Like if I if I do terrible, <laughs> they could they could really hurt me. Uh, <laughs> but as long as I do decent, I feel like they're a net benefit. They have a program has an opportunity to get to know me over four weeks that they otherwise would only get to know me over a three hour meeting with them if they so chose to interview me. So. Yeah. I'm willing to take the chance. Well, and I think, I mean, we've said this before on the podcast. We are not super charismatic people. (laughs) It takes a while for us to warm up to people and people people to warm up to us. But, and we have had several jobs in the past where they weren't, they, we got hired, but they weren't sure if we were the right person for the job. But they ended up, loving us and promoting us very quickly, right? Yeah. So, like... like, (laughs) Well, like, my job at Vancouver Clinic, I got the job because of a friend of mine had worked as an executive assistant or something like that at the company, so he put in the good word for me, got me hired as a front desk or a patient service representative, PSR. And I remember when my boss who hired me, she got recruited for a different practice somewhere in Oregon, she was doing exit interviews where she'd just meet with all the employees that you know were in her department to kind of do an exit interview for herself and get kind of our feedback on, well, she would give our, her feedback on us. And kind of, it was kind of like our annual review in a way because a new manager was going to come in and it was getting close to that time for raises and whatnot. So you needed, she needed to at least put in her annual reviews to some extent. But during that meeting with her, she was like, when I first met you, I wasn't sure if you could say hi to a patient. Like, I wasn't sure you could, like, survive a week at the job. Like, I didn't know if you could talk. I didn't know, like, anything of your capabilities. But, like, your friend vouched for you. And I didn't, you know, once you got trained up, once you started doing the work, I didn't regret hiring you and you know i i started that job i think in i think it was like uh november November of 2012 and it was basically i think june or july of the the next year so 2013 is when i got promoted to surgery coordinator so it didn't take very long for me to jump into a different role that was essentially a promotion um and granted i didn't exactly move from surgery coordinator for the next five years, uh, <laughs> five, six years. Uh, um, but mostly because I think, I know we're going down a different path. Well, here, there but, wasn't anywhere else you could go except for management. Yeah. I, I basically had decided surgery coordinating got me a lot of contact with the doctors and had me a lot of contact with the patients. And my goal was to end up in medical school. And I felt like 
what was needed for medical school was the experience with patients and the experience with doctors. Doctors will give you the good letters of recommendation. The patients will give you invaluable experiences that will help you uh, in the future, but also medical schools would look at that and go, oh man, you had a lot of patient contact, patient interaction. You're not just uh, you're not just a high school or college graduate that just did a little bit of volunteering, you know, three hours folding clothes or putting put, restocking the shelves with books at the local hospital. You actually talked to patients and did, did a function in the healthcare industry. I, this is my thought process. I, I obviously did not land in U.S. medical school admissions. <laughs> but that's why I stayed at that position for as long as I did is because I wanted those two components and then I needed to get my MCAT done and I needed to apply to medical school. So it was a lot of stuff that had to happen. And if I would have moved, I felt like if I moved into a management, management position, I would have got paid a lot better, but then I would have lost... Motivation and drive to well, get things not done. Not even really that, know. but it was more like I would have lost like my thing where I would I could have said I had you know I have seven years of patient interaction, a patient experience, and if I moved in the management, I could say, well, you know, when I first started the job, I had patient contact, but then I moved in the management, and now I all I have is you know con- you know contact with some doctors and medical assistants and nurses and telling them how to do their job. Well, how they should function on a day-to-day basis, and they, there's nothing you know. Places need managers, obviously, but I didn't feel like that was going to get me the experience that medical schools were looking for. Anyway, yeah. all that to basically say that my first, my, my manager that hired me for that job definitely did not think that I could do the job, <laughs> which was a great ringing endorsement. <laughs> well, first impressions might not be our strong point, I guess, is what we were kind of getting at. So yeah, yeah, for for us, we are thinking that having four weeks of being able to see how, how Eric handles the situation and works and studies and tries to better himself in whatever job or task he's given would be a better reflection of who he is uh, as opposed to however long the interview takes. I've, some of them are like three hours, some of them are forever. Yeah, some some are longer than others. And I think because it's kind of up in the air whether we're going to have a bunch of virtual interviews or if we're going to have in-persons in or mixtures of, of the above, I, it's hard to know at this point in the process. So uh, I would imagine the average would be about three, maybe six hours if it was going to be virtual, if it was in-person a little bit longer. But even then, it's like, you're, they're not seeing you in a clinical setting and in, in like a team setting, which is I think what the rotations are essentially supposed to try to simulate is that you're there as the intern, as the first year resident, trying to manage a few patients, trying to work in the team and they're trying to see how you work. And then I'm sure the residents are going, can we work with this person? And then the preceptors or the attendings are probably going, can we teach this person? Yeah. And so you have to try to accomplish a lot of those traits. You have to try to emulate that you can be trained, you can be taught, and that you can be a good teammate. You you know, you can be someone they can rely on or they would, wouldn't mind working with on a day-to-day basis. So, Yeah. And going back to um, earlier, Eric had talked about different advice for IMG students versus U.S. medical students and how that differs. I know in this conference there's going to be a forum about applying to residencies 
and Brandon's gonna uh, one of uh, one of them's gonna go to the advice for U.S. students, and one of them's gonna oh, go to yeah. the advice for um, IMG students because Trinity is a little bit. We have a good mix. We have yeah. uh, we have a lot of U.S. citizens, uh, U.S. nationals who went to a Caribbean school like myself, and then we have a good number of students who are international. Um, Foreign nationals, so India, Pakistan, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, uh, all sorts of other islands that people have come from but that are going to be graduating from a Caribbean medical school, going through the ECFMG process to be credentialed so that they could apply for the match in the U.S. And so with that comes J-1 visas and other things and whether programs will sponsor J-1 visas or they won't sponsor and all what that entails, because some programs do, some programs don't, and so yeah. there's a there's a, one advice doesn't fit all. Like there's a lot of advice that maybe is applicable to me as a U.S. citizen that maybe in the ACP conference uh, or the talk when they're going to have on U.S. medical students and and the match is going to be applicable to me in that area. But maybe there's some stuff in the international conversation that was also applicable because hey we. I'm an ING, I have a few things I have to do that U.S. medical students don't have to do. Like the English proficiency test. <laughs> yeah, the and... $500 English proficiency <laughs> test, you know. <laughs> I, yeah, even though I, you know, I, uh, I got my uh, high school diploma in the U.S. and I have a bachelor's degree from a U.S. Uh, undergrad institution. Uh, as whatever reason, ECFMG, there's no, there's no kind of skip in this step. You have to take an English proficiency test just to prove that you can speak the language at a competent level at a, as a professional. And it, that costs about $500. So, you know, <laughs> something else you have to consider in your, your third slash fourth year is that you've got to get that done. And that's, I haven't scheduled it. I, I think it's going to be something I do sometime in August. Uh, yeah. But before I start my ways. Yes. But I think that you do need to get kind of like, with step two where you get your dates and then oh, you can... Oh, yeah, pick a date. And then you can schedule. Um, I don't think it's like that. Like step two, you get a three-month window. And same with step one, you get like a three-month window um, for your permit is good for. Oh. And then you pick a date within that three-month window. I think this is just simply you pick a date. I think this is not through the prometric system. It is through a different system. Okay. Well, I know Seth said he scheduled it Yeah, he scheduled his out early. And you, I can do it at any point. Uh, and same with OSCEs. I still have to do the OSCEs. Um, yeah. All the things we got to do. It's okay. It is a good thing to look over, like, if they have a breakdown of your tuition, what is covered and what isn't. So, like, for Trinity, you are paying out of pocket for your step one, your step two. You're paying out of pocket for your English proficiency. You're paying out of pocket for... Any study material, like you old. They give you, they give you Kaplan. Yeah, but um, just be aware when you're doing your budget, what you ask for. Um, and the, the worksheet that they do give you does include these line items, I think, by, for the most part. But then again... In third, fourth year, depending on where you land in the cycle, whether you're going to be ending third year and jumping straight into, um, like I am, jumping straight into away electives and uh, doing the match cycle, you might need to 
budget for taking out a little bit more money towards the end of that third year so you can pay for all the programs that you're going to apply to because i I think i ran there's a there's a few calculators you can find out there on the internet and i ran like how much it would cost to apply to 230 programs that's about forty five hundred dollars so and that's just applying to them that's not counting the probably the uh, ecfmg token that you have to get in order to be on the eras application and then not counting the the fee that you have to pay to enter into the match <laughs> and then there's a bunch of little fees here and there so you gotta uh, pay attention to some of that i guess yeah so paying attention to timing and just paying attention to it what your expenditures that are not covered by tuition every year is and it's hard because like there's a lot of money it's big money it's not yes. not little and there's there's always a i think a temptation to be maybe very frugal during this period and i and again I, I haven't gone through it myself so i i, I can't talk with any real authority I, i'm just going to relay what advice i was given is that like you've made it this far in medical school you've made it three years you're going to do the fourth year. You need to match. In order to become a full-fledged doctor in the United States, you have to match into a residency. So this is not the time to like close the wallet down and be like, I'm only applying to three programs and because I want to save a whole bunch of money. Like This is the time where you know maybe uh, year one, year two in medical school, you, you thought about taking that long catamaran trip to Beckway or to all the different islands in St. Vincent and the Grenadines and you're like, oh man, that's going to cost about a couple thousand dollars and maybe you passed on it. That's where this money should be going to. <laughs> you, know, they, <laughs> you, were fr- you were budgeting and frugal in year one, two, and three. Now it's the time to kind of blow through the budget, not blow through the budget, but like budget for this and spend it because again, we, we're IMG students. We have a pretty good record at Trinity of matching, but like you still have to work for it. You still got to put the applications out there. You still got to um, interview and do all that stuff. So it's not easy. And you certainly don't want to be like, I'm just applying to 10 programs and only spending maybe a thousand dollars. And I'm hoping for the best. Like, I, I don't know how people do that. People do do that and make it. I don't know how <laughs> it scares Scares the daylights out of me. So, like the internal medicine doctor I worked with, uh, for the he was a hospitalist. He applied to only three programs for neurology, and he got into one of them. And like I, I just can't even imagine. Yeah, but even with him, like he thought for certain that he wanted to go into neurology, and then he ended up switching. So, just kind of another like, <laughs> put it out there that maybe go into your residency with an open mind a little bit even if you think that you might want to do something you might do it enough and be like no this really isn't for me so (laughs) tying it back around (laughs) I don't know it just seems like medical school in general is waiting for the next test and then always being willing to adjust because things are either always changing or your perception of how something is changes uh, with your experience Right. Yeah, and we're we're just there to try to absorb as much as we can, and and as much as four years seems like a long time, we're really or even one year of clerkships. Like you know, we're trying to absorb as much as we can in that short period of time. So, just trying to be open to all those experiences and 
trying to get as much as you can out of it. Whether the rotations are short or not, you know, you just try what you can. But we are, we don't have a whole lot this week to discuss because, again, like we recorded a little bit late last week because we were waiting on our step uh, shelf score, which we got. And then we were working on the iHuman stuff and doing the uh, Inky deck and whatnot. We're, we're working through it. I mean, I, I, I do appreciate now the iHuman to some extent. There's still some frustrations with iHuman that you just kind of have to work with uh, in general. But I do appreciate some of the stuff I've learned from previous preceptors that I have kind of taken into the iHuman realm. And uh, there's some things that kind of frustrate you a little bit. Like, you know, you're doing a, uh, you have someone that has upper GI bleed and you know, you know you're going to do a GED to look for the GI bleed. And iHuman says, no, you need to do an endoscopy. And it's like, it's the same thing. <laughs> Literally the same thing. But, or there's some that kind of cracked me up. I had one very recently, and this is something I had to really give a lot of things to Dr. Lomboy for, knowing the difference between a BMP and a CMP. And it was amusing to me because for one of the, I can't remember what the diagnosis was, but for one of the diagnoses, it said that I should have ordered a CMP and a BMP. And it's like, well, that's ridiculous. Like, the CMP covers the BMP. You don't, <laughs> you don't need both. So, uh, in either case, so I, I do appreciate having a little bit of knowledge to go into these things. Sometimes I, I am actually able to get some of the diagnoses. I don't always get all the differentials correct. I have a sometimes I get like one or two correct, and I have like six others that are apparently incorrect. Uh, it, it's crazy, but you know it is just what it is, and I'm. Um, I appreciate that I can kind of navigate at least the questions of the history taking portion pretty well. I can generally navigate the physical exams pretty well. I'm still struggling with some of the labs, which one's the order, which one's not, but it's all coming together, you know? <laughs> yeah, so... Um, I, I can see my plans are a lot more elaborate now <laughs> than they were when I first started. Yeah. So next week, um, I think, since... Brandon and Eric are going to this conference. I think they are going to try and maybe um, do a podcast talking about their experiences and what they learned there. Yeah, we're hoping to bring a microphone with us and see what we can do on the road. Yeah, I'm not sure if you actually talked to Brandon about this yet. Nope, not at all. <laughs> not at all. He's just going to spring it on him. So hopefully that will happen. Um, if not, you'll get me. <laughs> me and Eric talking over it. Which is, is fine, but I know sometimes you would rather hear from medical students, both both and. Um, and, yeah, that's about our week. Um, I would, so usually in the wrap-ups, we talk about how to get in touch with us. I've noticed this very strange trend that has been occurring where we have a website, uh, ackeradventures.com, com i think is what it is it essentially just acts as kind of a, a landing page for our podcast to basically be disseminated from and i think there's like a lot of bots that's all i can think about but i get a bunch of kind of random questions that in no i'm not trying to be offensive here but not very good english so i'm not really sure what they're asking half the time and and sometimes they refer to the summary I put in the podcast, so for the podcast summary, they refer to that as my blog. 
and they compliment my writing, which is like, you know, four sentences. So I'm, I'm always like taken back, but I always want to kind of reaffirm that if you have actual questions that you want us to answer, Instagram, MedFamilyMD, send the message through Instagram, Karen sees it, and we will answer those questions. We have as well in the past, either on the program or just directly through messaging don't go to that website and leave a comment because generally I I have to approve the comments and if I a don't recognize who's posting it or b think it's spam it and or if you refer to my 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 brief summary for the podcast that week as a blog it's it's gonna be marked as spam and I'm just gonna kind of ignore it because again that only serves as kind of a landing page for us to post the audio post the summary so that itunes can then pull it off and in be it can be hosted so it's kind of a hosting location it's not really anything special um so if you are trying to get a hold of us and you are trying to ask questions uh instagram medfamilymd that <laughs> that's the way to do it you can also do a comment or um a rating on itunes as well uh, we would get those as well if you want to ask a question on iTunes and leave a review there. That that's fine, but really those are the two ways the best best ways to get a hold of us. I don't think we're <laughs> we're we're really using too many other methods at this point. Uh, we're kind of a small operation. Yeah, so we'll try and get you guys a few more special episodes. One being with Brandon, and then um, I think we've got a couple more that we've are got in the a works. More in the works, yeah. So we're. We're working on it. We're trying to get something in the books for you guys. But uh, I hope you have a good week. And we're hopefully have some interesting stuff to talk about when we get back from this trip. All right. All right. Have a good week. Bye.